Now, to begin this invitation, I want to draw your attention to a theme that kind of, uh, kind of works its way throughout the scriptures. And, and if you read your Bible at any length, or nowadays most of us listen to it, um, uh, there's, there's many uh, pictures or themes or images that work their way throughout the Word. And you do well to pay attention to those images because they teach you a lot and each time they come up they're different and they add meaning and depth to the, to the image or the, the thing that you're thinking about. And, and uh, one of those themes, uh, one of those images that is repetitious throughout Scripture is a table. Uh, There's many, many stories, many, many places where a table is talked about. I'm just going to read a very few of those verses and just to help our minds get into this mode that we are invited today to a table. What does that mean? What's the depth and riches of meaning in that image, in that that activity? So here here in Luke chapter 12, Jesus kind of flips it upside down. He says, The servants who are ready and waiting for his return will be rewarded. I tell you the truth, he himself will seat them, put on an apron, and serve them as they sit and eat. Now to us that's not the biggest deal because most of us don't have servants that stay in the basement and cook our food and serve us. But when Jesus said these words, that was not an uncommon thing. And so imagine how that comes across to people. The king is going to put on the apron. And the ones who are coming to serve the food to the table of the members of the kingdom are going to be seated at the table. And then the members of the kingdom are going to leave the table and they're going to go and they're going to serve the ones who were the servants at the table. And so he he flips the, the picture upside down in terms of a banquet, a traditional banquet in his day. And really, uh, many, many days throughout history, though we live in a, in a different time, but, but we, it, it's, it's productive to think that through in terms of which is the seat I want. Uh, am I the servant who's being invited in, or am I a member of the kingdom who's being encouraged to put on the apron and serve? Uh, so there's the table, but at the center of all of this is a table. So now we can turn to Song of Solomon, uh, the great love story of the Bible, and, and just read the one verse, so there's a bigger context uh, to, to take into account. But here it says, Let him lead me to the banquet hall, and let his banner over me be love. And what this adds to the picture of the table is that the, that the purpose of the table is to express love to those who are invited to sit at it. So it's a table of love. It's a table where, where we come... And the communication of being served the food is that we are among the loved. So that adds richness to the image of a table. In Luke chapter 13, people will come from east and west and north and south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Now you understand that imagery, right? When we say north, south, east, west, it simply is a symbolic way of indicating that everyone from everywhere is invited. No one is excluded. Every direction is included here. Uh, and, and so that's a, it's an inclusive table. Uh, no one is, is outside of the reach of the invitation. In Revelation, it says, again, flipping the image backwards uh, in a different way. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with them and they with me. 
So our normal understanding is that you prepare a banquet and then you invite people in to eat it. But Jesus here is bringing us a different image. He prepares the banquet because all of the other tables, it's Jesus, it's God who's preparing the banquet. But then he knocks on your door and says, I've got a banquet ready, can I come in with it? So there's another rich image that tells us that we don't have to put on our best clothes and our best behavior to be at the table. He's bringing the banquet right into the context of our everyday life. If we just open the door, he brings it there. Uh, right? You know, we, we, we know this instinctively, don't we? Uh, both from the side of inviting people and being invited. You don't really know someone until you eat in their house. That's why we like to go to restaurants, because we can hide a lot. But in our house, we can't hide it. He's knocking at the door. The banquet's ready. He's got the table with him. You're not the one preparing the table. But he wants to come in if you'll invite him. So this is just a, a very small sample of the table imagery and symbolism and meaning in the scriptures. But you can see how as you read through different passages and you just pick them up, oh, there's the table again. What does this table add to my understanding of this image, of this, this way of understanding God's invitation? And of course, the most important table of all is the communion table uh, that, that he invites us to. And we invite you to normally on the first Sundays of the month. So um, I want to... Just work with that, play with it a little bit, and uh, to do that I've invented a little game, and since it's just past Canada Day, happy Canada Day, I hope you found a good way to celebrate. I did, I took my wife to the airport, so <laughs> she's, uh, she's currently at her mother's place in Ontario, and Doug and I are going to catch up with them in a couple of days here, uh, but her holiday started before mine, so, so we sent her off. Um, and, and that's it's good. She hasn't been over to see her mother and sisters for a long time, so, so we're happy that she could do that. Um, but anyways, uh, a Canadian theme just to get us started, maybe, maybe be a little, uh, little playful with it. So what the world thinks we do is play hockey. What Americans think we do is kind of, you know, peace children kind of thing. You know, we don't have guns and wars all the time like they do. What we think we do, Captain Canada, what we actually do is Bob and Doug McKenzie. So I'm going to get your votes. Now, there's, I've put in the envelope holders three strips of colored paper. And there's not going to be enough for every one of you in every row, but there's lots of empty seats. So if you don't have strips of paper, uh, find a, an empty seat. Get, go ahead. We can get up and move around now and, and find some or grab some and pass them back if you're near empty seats. Uh, and uh, so I only have three colors, so I had to cross out one picture. I crossed out Captain Canada. That's probably the one you were going to choose, but I had to pick something. So what do you think represents Canada the most accurately? The hockey players or the peace child or Bob and Doug McKenzie? Hold up your color. I'm going to see if I can, can get a, a reading here. I am going to go with blue. Overwhelming majority picked hockey uh, to represent Canada. I'm not surprised. All right, so let's try another one. Uh, have your colors ready as we tell this story and kind of think about which one you're going to pick. Uh, this one happens at Tim Hortons, quite a central Canadian place. And uh, there's... there's uh, 
there's a, a person at the counter working, and there's two people uh, sitting at in Tim Hortons drinking their coffee, and one of the people sitting there uh, finishes his or her coffee and uh, rolls up the rim to see what's underneath there and starts yelling, Yay, I won! I won a motorhome. And the, the, the person at the counter pipes up and says, That can't be right. The, the biggest prize is a car. It's impossible. You can't have won a motorhome. And so then uh, the person says, No, it's no mistake. I won a motorhome. And he shows the cup to her and it says, Win a bagel. So who would you be in this story? Would you be the employer uh, trying to correct the situation? Would you be the winner that can't read properly? Or would you be the other customer sitting there shaking your head? What color are you going to be? We've got some orange, some green. Mostly I'm going to pick green as the winner. All right, let's try another one. A person... uh, a man in his house uh, calls the RCMP. And uh, the RCMP answer, hello, this is the RCMP. And he says, I'm calling about my neighbor, Antoine Smith. He's hiding drugs in his firewood. The next day, the RCMP show up at Antoine's place, and they descend upon the woodshed, and they, they check out the firewood, and they, they, they split open all the wood and look for these drugs, and they find nothing. Uh, and so... Uh, so they go home, and, uh, and, and uh, the neighbor calls over to Antoine's house, and he says, uh, did the RCMP come to your house? And Antoine says, yeah, they did. Uh, he says, did they chop all your firewood? And he says, yeah, they did. He says, happy birthday, Antoine. <laughs> so who are you? Are you Antoine, uh, who got his firewood chopped for free? Are the RCMP who got duped into doing the work? Or are you the the neighbor who who had everyone under his... uh... Okay, this one's tougher. There's a lot of green and a lot of blue. And just a few orange. I am going to go with blue. I didn't count. I could be wrong. but, But that's my impression of the colors up there. But we maybe should turn back to the Bible by now, don't you think? It's a church service after all. You know the story well. It's the story of David and Goliath. Uh, the, the armies of the Philistines, the enemies of God, are lined up on one side of the valley, and the armies of Israel are lined up on the other side. And every day, the champion of the Philistines comes out, Goliath, a giant of a man, intimidating as could possibly be, and he declares out to the Israelites, uh, send me your champion to fight me. I mean, instead of... Instead of all of us fighting and many of us dying, let's solve this, just two men. Just send us your champion and we can, we can end this dispute in a, in a way that doesn't harm as many people. That was actually not an uncommon way to finish disputes between tribal peoples in that time. And they were all kind of nomadic and tribal. And, uh, and so, uh, but, so the Israelites aren't attacking the army, but none of them is willing to be the champion who goes out and represents their army either. And then uh, the shepherd boy David comes along to visit his brothers who are, are at the front lines and he sees this happen. He says, what's going on here? And it's explained to him. And he says, well, I'll go fight Goliath. And he said, no, no, you're just a shepherd boy. You're not trained. You're not, 
you know, you're just small, you're young, you can't do that. He says, I'll do it, I'll do it. And so King Saul agrees to say, well, okay, we'll let David go do that. And uh, Saul, King Saul brings David in. He says, you know, you're going to go out there and fight this champion. You're not really prepared. So he gave David the king's own armor and the king's own weapons and said, use my armor, use my weapons. Uh, you'll go do that. So David puts it all on and it doesn't fit. It's kind of clanking around. He's never been trained to fight with that kind of stuff. So he says, no, 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 I'll just go with God. Uh, leave your armor behind. And so he goes out there and, and you know the story. He's, he slings his sling. He chooses his rocks and uh, the spirit of God guides that stone and it, it hits Goliath right in the forehead and he's dead. So who would you be in this story? Would it be David, Goliath or Saul? I see. Oh, it's close again. It's close again. Lots of blues, lots of greens. I'm looking for an orange. Oh, there's an orange. Good. This is meant to be fun. I'm, I'm going to go with, with, with blue. I think that's the majority out there. But I want to I wanna pause for a moment. Because, I mean, it's, it's such a story that's foreign to us. We don't stand in lines with swords and spears and, and, and do that. Some of, some of you may have been to war, but it's a different kind of thing these days. But just, just think about it for a minute. What was Goliath? He was a guy who stood between the people of God and what God was doing in their lives. And if I'm honest, I've been Goliath. I mean, as parents, I, I, I almost want to be bold enough to say, who of us hasn't? Who of us hasn't known that God is leading one of our children in some direction and said, no, that's not my dream for my child. And we've stood in the way, like a monster. I've done that. Who of us hasn't been the one who stands up in a congregational meeting where God's leading a church in one direction and says, no, we don't want to change? Who of us hasn't had a close friend who says, God's taking me here. We don't want to lose our friend. So we come up with a list of reasons why that's probably not what God's doing. I don't know. Those are just some random examples. But, but maybe... Maybe the orange one is honest sometimes. Or what about Saul? I mean, some of you held that up, but, but what about Saul? That, that, that's the kind of person who, who would prefer to stay on the sidelines and just give money. You go do the mission. You go clean up the church. You go, you know, I'll just pay for it. I'll just provide the resources. I don't really want to get involved. I'll just stay on the side. I'm not really going to stick my neck out. What if it goes wrong? So maybe, maybe we've been Saul as well. And, and this is the thing about the biblical stories. They always invite us to enter the story and imagine, who would I be? Who would I be? Who would I be? It's easy to point the finger and say, you're Saul, you're Goliath, you're, you know, and I'm David. That's easy. But who am I today in this story? Let's move to another one. Familiar story again. There's crowds coming to town. And the reason there's crowds down the street is because Jesus is in the middle of it. 
And this is at the height of his popularity. It's not long after this, and Jesus starts to take a nosedive in popularity, and nobody wants to be seen around him. But here he's at the height. And uh, Zacchaeus lives in town, and he hears this crowd's coming. He knows it's Jesus that's causing all the commotion. He doesn't really want to be the center of attention. He's kind of a Saul. He doesn't want to be there. And people don't like him anyways, because he works for the Romans. He works for the enemies. He is the enemy, even though he's Jewish. And, uh, and he, uh, he goes, climbs up a tree, just so he can maybe catch a glimpse of Jesus. And Jesus comes under that tree, and he ignores the whole crowd and points out Zacchaeus and says, I'm coming to your house tonight. Now there's, an in, there's another table, right? There's lots of tables in God's Word. There's always tables. I'm coming to your house to eat. Now I assume because I know Jesus from other stories that Zacchaeus could have said no. Jesus never forced himself on people who refused him. But Zacchaeus went home and prepared the table. When Jesus came to Zacchaeus' house, Zacchaeus had invited his friends. And his friends weren't the ones that were climbing around Jesus. His friends were other tax collectors and prostitutes and people from the shadows. And the people that had been around Jesus all day pointed fingers and laughed and said, why, why would he eat with those horrible people? Why would he eat with Goliath? And when the meal was done, Zacchaeus went out and paid back all the money he'd stolen and more. Who would you be in this story? Maybe, maybe we're a little less bold to, <laughs> to hold up our, our stickers would you be Zacchaeus? Knowing you don't deserve to be seen by Jesus, but yet he points you out and invites you, invites himself over to your house? Would you be one of the crowd, always clamoring around Jesus, always trying to be close? Would you be one of the victims of Zacchaeus that have been wronged? And because of Jesus, you've been given back what was taken. Go ahead. Pick one. Remember, this is a game. If you get it wrong, it doesn't matter. Ah, there's, there's a lot of different ones this time. I think we're thinking a little more deeply now, aren't we? I, I'm, I'm going to... I think it's blue, but I'm not... I, I'd have to count, actually, to know which, which one it is uh, this time. Let's go on to the next one. This one's uh, going to be on the screen, so if you can turn the volume on, we'll play the video. The older son is trustworthy and honors his father. And the younger son? He's a mess. He rebels and cashes in his inheritance to travel far away and blow it all on partying and being stupid. And then there's a famine in the land. And he runs out of money. So he has to scrape by by taking care of somebody's pigs. And he's so hungry he wants to eat the pig slop. At which point it occurs to him, if I'm going to be a farmhand, I might as well go home and work for my dad. At least I won't be eating pig food. So he treks back home, rehearsing his apology. Now, the father is certain that his son did not survive the famine. But then, one day, he sees someone walking down the road. It's his son. He's not dead. And so the father runs to him and embraces his son, kissing him all over. The son starts his speech. Dad, I don't deserve to be your son. Maybe I could come and work for you. 
But before he can finish, the father calls his servants to go get the nicest robe, new sandals, a fancy ring for his son. They are to prepare the best food for a banquet. It is time to celebrate. Now later that day, the older brother arrives from a long day working in the field to discover his long-lost loser of a brother has come home. And they're celebrating? And he gets angry. And think about it. He's been faithful to his father all of these years. He never got a party like this. And then this disgrace of a family member comes home, and they're going to celebrate him? It's disgusting. He refuses to join the banquet. So the father finds the older brother outside, and he says, Son, you are already in our family. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate your brother because he was lost. And now he's found. He was dead. But now... As you contemplate which color to put up, I just want to say something else. Uh, we don't have children's church today, and I'm just loving hearing the kids. So thank you, parents, for bringing your kids to church. Um, it brings me joy. Who would you be? The father who's been wronged and is now being asked to forgive? The prodigal, the one who did the wrong and has run off and now asking for forgiveness? The older son who's been faithful all the years? Who would you be? Some of you are holding up more than one color. <laughs> I'm not going to count. Uh, I see lots of orange. That's probably the winner, but, but uh, I'm not keeping score, obviously. Let's go to another one. This one I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 26. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? He replied, Go into the city to a certain man and tell him. The teacher says, My appointed time is near. I am going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. Another table. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. When the evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. While they were eating, he said, Truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me. They were very sad. And began to say to him one after another, Surely not I, Lord. Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it was written about him. But woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely not I, Rabbi. Jesus answered, You have said so. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now until the day when I drink it with you in my Father's kingdom. Who would you be in this story? It's an incredible story. It's almost unbelievable. This is an important meal. 
This is the last chance Jesus has to really pour into the lives of his disciples. This is the embryo of the church. These are the people who are going to establish the kingdom of God according to the gospel of Jesus Christ on earth. This is it. This is the nucleus of all the plans that God has been planning since Abraham until the end of time. This is the seed. His last chance to speak, to put nutrients into this seed. And at that table is Judas. And Jesus knew. Jesus knew what Judas was planning. Do you see his compassion in the question? Judas is there. All the others have said, surely not I. So Judas, not wanting to stand out, not wanting to, uh, to reveal his, his evil plan, says, surely not I. And Jesus said, you have said so. It's ambiguous, right? The other disciples probably didn't pick it up. They probably interpreted it the opposite way. But Judas knew. Judas knew what he meant. And Jesus knew. Do you think their eyes locked for a second? I don't know what happened. It doesn't give us that detail. But here's the important detail. The next phrase that Matthew gives us, Jesus says, you have said so. And then he breaks the bread and says, take, eat. This is my body given for your forgiveness. And he takes the cup and says, take, drink. This is my blood which was shed for you. And he gives that bread to Judas. Now he's already said, it would be better you haven't born if you're the one that will betray the Son of Man. He's not, he's not letting Judas off the hook. But he's giving an invitation. You can still turn. You can still change what you put in your heart. And, and it's unfair of me to put up the names I put up, Judas, Peter, and John, because Matthew's account really only gives you one, answer, one option. The only name that's named in this story is Judas. Matthew's intent, God's intent as you read this, is that you will identify with Judas. The other names aren't given. But if we just think about the others, I mean, I mean who of you, just put up your hand if you could list all 12 names. And I probably shouldn't put up my, na- my hand. There was 12 disciples. We're given all of their names. They all picked up the leftovers when he fed 5,000. They all put their nets in the water. They all saw Peter get out of the boat and walk on the water. They all were afraid in the storm when Jesus calmed it. They were all there all of those times and many more. But most of them are never mentioned in the story. They're of great importance. Every one of them. But in this story, only one name is given. Judas. Matthew wants us to know that even Judas was at that table. Do you remember Jesus' story about the wheat and the weeds? Should we pick out the weeds? We can see them there in the field. And Jesus says, no, leave them. If you pick up the weeds, you might pull out some wheat too. And so leave the weeds there and God will sort it out at the harvest. And now Jesus is practicing what he preached. He's doing what he said we should do. 
He could have cast Judas out, but he didn't. He said, just one last time, Judas, you can still turn. You can still turn. But then if we're honest, think about the others. When Jesus was arrested just a few hours later, the guards grabbed onto John and he wriggled out of his clothes and ran off naked into the night and full of shame. That's a betrayal, isn't it? That's a betrayal. Think of Peter. Yeah, he pulled his sword. But then a few hours later, when a servant girl, someone of no consequence, said, I think I saw you with that man. He said, no, I've never met him. And the rooster crowed. And Peter ran off into the night with tears in his eyes. And Jesus died alone. Every one of them betrayed him. Every one of them said, I'll be with you to the end. And they betrayed that promise. What's the difference? The other 11 came back to the table. Remember, they were in the boat and Jesus was on the shore cooking food. I don't think he actually had a table, maybe a blanket, a picnic, cooking fish. And they all 11 came out of the boat and sat down with Jesus again after his resurrection and ate with him. We only have the conversation recorded between Jesus and Peter. But in my imagination, he had a similar conversation with every single one of them. One on one, I forgive you. I recommission you for the work for which I've trained you. And it's the same with us. Now, now think, about, think about this story. Who was not at the table? The one who betrayed the Father or the one who was faithful through all the years? Yeah, the older brother was not at the table. The banquet was set. The Father even went out and argued with him and urged him and pleaded with him to come in. Just like Judas, Jesus was doing with Judas at that last table. It's the same story. It's exactly the same story. But he didn't come in. Who was at the table with Zacchaeus? The crowds that were publicly showing how much they loved Jesus? No, they were pointing the finger when Jesus ate with Zacchaeus and the prostitutes and the tax collectors. So he's probably drunk out of his mind. That's what those people do every time they get together. Maybe we thought he was a hero, but turns out he's a sinner. They're pointing at Jesus. They're betraying him. But they weren't at the table. I'm not going to ask you to put your colors up. Who would you be? Who are you today? Because you are invited to this table where Jesus says, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for your forgiveness. Even if you're Judas, come. Come to the table. Because that's where you will be restored. That's where you will find forgiveness. That's where you will find your true meaning and purpose in life again. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter. Come to the table. 
What I'm going to do is I'm going to lead you in prayer. And then I'm going to open up the, the trays. And as the song plays to help you meditate, I hope um, you can come forward as you're ready and willing and take a cup, return to your seat, and uh, we'll, we'll play the music and pray and meditate together, but a little bit alone uh, until we're all done. It's a long prayer, and you've got a part in it, but your part is easy to remember because it's the same each time. We are going to, uh, to pray from Psalms 136. And the reason I'm doing this is because your line, which I want you to say out loud together, is His love endures forever. Over and over and over again. Because I want you to never forget, even if I'm Judas, his love endures. And I'm invited to the table. And so that will be your part in the prayer, and I'll say the other parts. Let us pray. When we're done praying, we'll just go straight to the table. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. To him alone, to him alone does great wonders. By his outstanding hand made the heavens. Or sorry, for, by his understanding made the heavens. Who spread out the earth upon the waters. Who made the great lights. The sun to govern the day. And the moon and stars to govern the night. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt. And brought Israel out from among them. With a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. To him who divided the Red Sea asunder. And brought Israel through the midst of it. But swept Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea. To him who led his people through the wilderness. To him who struck down great kings. And killed mighty kings. I'm going to pause. We can talk in the middle of a prayer, can't we? Does any of you know... Do any of you know Sion, king of the Amorites? You met him? I don't think so. When we, when we read the Psalms like this, obviously the one who wrote this song put in the names of his or her enemies. And what's appropriate for us to do when we pray these prayers is to substitute the names of your enemies. So, Sion, king of the Amorites, was like Goliath. He stood between the people of God and God's destiny for them. 
And so God removed the obstacle. So put the names in. Who stands between you and what God wants for you? We're afraid sometimes to name our enemies. Doesn't mean we hate those people. But there are people that stand between us and where we know God wants us to be. Instead of fighting them ourselves, why don't we put them before God and say, I'd I'd like to move forward, but I can't because there's this obstacle. God can take care of it. Maybe it's something internal. Maybe it's something psychological. Maybe it's something emotional. Maybe it's something in our brains and our thought patterns. Maybe it's someone right in your own family to make this prayer your own. Go ahead. Put names. Put labels to the things that stand between you and where you know God wants you to go. I'm going to back up a couple and I'm going to go slowly and let you uh, put that in. Repeat the refrain, then I'll pause before I go on to the next and give you a chance to just really pray. To him who struck down great kings. And killed mighty kings. Sion, king of the Amorites. And Og, king of Bashan. And gave their lands as an inheritance. An inheritance to his servant Israel. And there instead of Israel, you put your own name. He remembered us in our lowest state. And freed us from our enemies. He gives food to every creature. Give thanks to the God of heaven. Amen.
Micah chapter 7, verse 18. Who is a God like you, who pardons sin and forgives the transgressions of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight in showing mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. 